Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi everyone, I'm Molly Cahillane, Adweek's Senior TV Reporter, and welcome to this week's episode of Most Powerful Women in Sports, where the world's greatest marketers, media pros, athletes, and coaches share their remarkable career journeys and how they achieved peak performance. I'm a member of Adweek's TV team. I cover streaming services, connected TV, and sports media. I've been pretty busy recently covering brand and media response to the Sally Yates report of systemic abuse in the NWSL. ESPN's got a great documentary called Truth Be Told that covers that topic too, which you should check out. I also wrote about ESPN's creative refresh for the NBA, WNBA, and G League as the NBA preseason gets underway. You can check both those stories out on adweek.com. But speaking of basketball, I am so excited to be here today with Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman. Val's chaired the conference since 2013 and has presided over its rebirth. She has a long history in the sports world as the founding president of the WNBA, which just wrapped its 26th season, and as a past president of USA Basketball. I am so excited to chat with Val ahead of the collegiate basketball season. In this episode, we're shockingly going to talk about basketball, but also Val's career path, what it's like being a top-level executive in both men's and women's sports, and how to navigate a tumultuous collegiate sports landscape, and so much more. Thank you for listening, and make sure to subscribe to hear more conversations with the women changing the game. And you can follow me on Twitter at Molly K. Helene. Val, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Molly. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. I am so excited. We're going to talk about some of my favorite things. Um, So speaking of basketball, um, it's almost time for college basketball. How are you prepping for the 2022-23 season when the sport's on the rise? Well, the good news, Molly, is that it's looking like it'll be a normal season, um, which is a a departure from where we were going into 2021. And then, of course, last year, 21-22, hoping for normalcy um, as it related to the pandemic. 
and then getting disrupted a few months in. This year, um, we're keeping our fingers crossed that we won't have um, that, that you know, element intruding into our season. And, um, and so that's sort of, you know, the first element I would share about the backdrop here. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're excited and ready to go. The season starts in uh, early November. Um, our on-campus preparations are in full throttle. And uh, we've actually got our basketball media day coming up, which we conduct at Madison Square Garden, longtime home of our men's basketball tournament. Uh, but I'm excited about the year and expect that we're going to have some um, high, you know, high, um, high quality performances and teams as we look ahead to our hopefully robust participation in the NCAA postseason come March. I have no doubt that several teams from the Big East are going to be in the postseason. Um, and I'm actually going to be at the media day. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so, okay, I want to talk about conferences. So Big East kind of reborn in 2013, UConn rejoined in 2020. How are you navigating leading a conference as we seem to be once again in this massive kind of shift in the sports landscape? We're seeing UCLA and USC head to the Big Ten, which as a Northwestern fan, I am super not excited about. Um, and then Texas and Oklahoma are heading to the SEC. How are you navigating this and how do you look at it with the Big East? Well, the, these moves are really, um, for, for those who don't follow college sports as closely as you do, Molly, these are really <laughs> driven by football. These, these sort of, um, what call it musical chairs moves uh, by some of these schools. It's really, um, it, just in simple terms, driven by by football programs and ultimately the prospect of greater revenue because of football programming. And I would say to you, the answer as it relates to the Big East is, um, we're, it's, it's ironic, frankly, for, for our league because um, that we're right, that we're very stable right now. And to, to, you know, to this point in time, unaffected by what's been happening with some of these other leagues and the trickle down effect that's having on other conferences. Um, the irony is that 15 years ago, it was the big East that was ravaged by departures of schools, mostly to the Atlantic coast conference. Um, one in the case of Rutgers going to the big 10, but all because of football. And what happened, to your point, you know, back in 2013 when the new Big East came together was that the so-called basketball schools said, you know, this is kind of enough. Um, we don't want our, you know, the stability of our league determined by what these football schools are doing. So let's, you know, let's get together other basketball schools, um, kind of be in a position where we can control our own destiny. They were able to withdraw from the old Big East, keep the name, keep all the intellectual property and the history, keep the uh, ability to play the men's basketball tournament at Madison Square Garden. We just celebrated our 40th year there last March. And they were able to cut a massive national television agreement with Fox Sports that put every men's basketball game and some women's games on television, national TV, which is critically important in terms of exposure and credibility. So that happened nine years ago. And ever since, like, our league hasn't looked back and, and so I'm, I'm comfortable right now. You never know what's going to happen in this environment. But right now, we're, we're sitting focused and committed and stable, uh, basketball first in the Big East, and to date, you know, not affected, honestly, by some of these moves that are making outside of our league. And uh, that may well continue, you know, we're, you know, we're going to wait to see, but may well continue into the future. 
That's an interesting point, thinking that it's football driven, because that I mean, it's completely true. And I mean, I mentioned that I don't love the idea of some of these conferences heading to the Big Ten. Maybe that's my own personal bias. But I also think it's a little unfair to the athletes with these kinds of things, because if you're only thinking about football, that's fine. They travel on Fridays, play the Saturday game. But if you're thinking softball, Rutgers flying to UCLA on a Tuesday night, that's just I don't think that's super fair to the athletes. It's an important consideration, and I'm, I'm kind of with you on how that's going to work. Um, I assume that the West Coast teams will have more money to pay for charter flights. It's probably how they're going to do it. Um, they're probably going to have to send the athletes on very long road trips to the East Coast in order to get a block of games in before they have to come back, which will likely mean missed class time, virtual learning, and you know not the kind of on-campus experience that you want your athletes to have. You don't want them just sort of isolated. You want them mingling. That's the part of the collegiate experience that, you know, is as important as the athletic competition is being part of the campus community. So I'm kind of with you and not really understanding fully how they intend to do it. That would be my guess. And, um, and, you know, uh, those, that's a decision that those schools have to make. They're balancing, you know, uh, brand revenue, football against other things and it's obviously an individual decision for every school but um but i think you're you know you're absolutely fair to to raise well what is that going to mean and i think it's for those schools to answer that question yeah well i am not in any kind of decision making capacity for those schools but that i mean that makes a lot of sense um but back to the big east so UConn, I mentioned this earlier, but for those that don't know, UConn rejoined in 2020, and UConn is a powerhouse basketball school, both men's and women's. Um, so what's, how has that kind of shifted the landscape of the, league, of the conference, both on the men's and women's side? And then also speaking specifically of women, how are you capitalizing on kind of the explosion of the women's program? Well, um, sort of back to the 2013 uh, reconfiguration of the Big East, uh, which has been in business since 1979 and has had you know, many comings and goings over the years. But back in 2013, when the new Big East schools, 10 of them, came together, um, people, you know, we were, we were sitting, you know, sitting pretty, if you will, with 10. And, um, and it just sort of worked for scheduling. In, in basketball, it's very advantageous to have a conference schedule versus your non-conference games, but a conference schedule where you only play each other to have what we call a double round robin, where everybody plays everybody mm-hmm. home and away in the same number of times. So with, um, with 10 teams, we were able to have a full, quote, double round robin, where everybody played each other home and away, 18 games, and then our schools added in their non-conference. Like when we brought UConn in... Um, you know, it was it was a you know it was an interesting decision in some ways because they are a big public university. They play FBS football. They're now playing as an independent. They're sort of not quite like the schools in the New Big East, which are largely mm-hmm. Catholic private schools. Butler was the exception as a private school, not a Catholic school. So there was some debate about fit, but on in every other way, um, UConn sort of you know was the one school that it made sense for the new Big East to add. Why? Because of the history. It was a charter school in the Big East back in 79. Geographically made sense right in the footprint, especially for our Northeast schools. They're less than an hour from Providence College. Uh, as you noted, the basketball um, strength, men and women, was compelling. And there are other sports that they're, they're, you know, they're very accomplished at and we thought would be additive. So back to my scheduling. And when we added them as the 11th school, we could still do the double round robin. Now, it's 20 conference games instead of 18, 
but it allowed us to sort of keep that template, which our schools really favored. So, um, you know, there was some back and forth over a period of a couple of years about whether they should come back or not. And, and then, as you noted, um, we announced in, um, in, in 2019 that they were coming back. It was a one-year runway. They joined in July of 2020. Not ideal, because we were in the, of the pandemic, so that, that was a bummer. But now, you know, we're entering our um, third year, 2021, 21, 20, tw a third year, doing the math in my head. Of <laughs> Not that's hard. East, and it's been great. I mean, they've been um, amazing partners. They've hosted a number of conference events. And, uh, you know, the second part of your question, I mean, I can go, you know, my short answer is yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, very few people in women's basketball, and I've been in women's basketball for a long time, that I have more respect for than Coach Oriama. I mean, what he's done um, to build women's um, basketball at UConn, what that's translated into nationally, what he's done for the national team program. In fact, he just got elected to the FIBA International Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, you know, the, you know his, his clear, strong voice in our meeting rooms, um, you know, uh, I just, and on a personal level, I, I just, you know, I, I consider him just, you know, one of a few people that I, I just, I just learned something from <laughs> every time I talk to him. So it's been very additive to have them back. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yes, are we capitalizing that? Um, yeah. In, you know, in a myriad of ways, it's to the Big East advantage to have them back. Well, speaking of Hall of Fame, you got inducted into two last year. Um, so I, I want to talk about you now. Um, we've talked a lot about UConn and the Big East and college basketball, but I want to hear about Val. So let's go back in time. Can you kind of walk me through your career path, how you got to where you are, um, and then what's next? Well, Molly, I've had a, I've had a really, um, you know, sort of dreamlike journey, N nothing planned here, very little planned. Um, I've had some, some luck along the way. And I, you know, I, uh, I opened a Chinese fortune cookie the other day and I always read my fortunes. <laughs> it was very interesting because my fortune said luck equals preparation plus opportunity. And I actually tacked that up on my home office tack board because I really think that's kind of, you know, what happens to all of us. We, we prepare ourselves as best we can and then, you know, things happen. And, uh, and that, and, you know, that leads us sort of down the path of our destiny. And that's kind of what happened to me. Um, in short strokes, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm an athlete, former athlete, try to work out, but I played basketball in high school and, um, you know, in the early days of title nine, I went on and was able to get a scholarship to play in college in the early years of title nine. So I was on the oh, wow. ground floor, um, of my program, university of Virginia, so saw saw how college basketball, women's college basketball, was sort of growing in the late '70s, early '80s. Um, I um, really wanted to be a lawyer, so I chose a, a, a major at UVA accordingly. It was an interdisciplinary major that was sort of liberal artsy. Um, my dream was to go to law school, um, but before I did that, I went overseas. There was no WNBA then. I don't know if I could have made it, but um, if you wanted to keep playing, you just went to Europe. That's what I did. I played in France. So I have that overseas experience. Came back to the USA, went on to law school. I went to UCLA, different part of the country. Um, and it was there that I said, okay, I want to stay in sports. Mm -hmm. How do I become a sports lawyer? And I tried that, you know, tried to get a job out of law school. I couldn't get one. So I wound up at a big Wall Street law firm in New York City, where I'm still based. 
and uh, did sort of corporate work, met my husband to be there. We got married. He stayed. I left. My next job in sports was as a staff lawyer for the NBA back oh, wow. in 1988. So I was the first woman lawyer hired by the NBA. The league office was quite small, under 100 people. The iconic David Stern was in his fourth year as commissioner. So I was really able to get in front of the top people very quickly. And within a year and a half, I was working as David's special assistant um, and later vice president of business affairs, working on the USA basketball NBA relationship which led to the dream teams, later the women's dream team that played in Atlanta in 96. And then that was the groundwork for the start of the WNBA in 1997. And I was the first president there, a job I held for eight years, dog years. It was great, but exhausting. And so I stepped away and um, became the chair of USA Basketball, on whose board I'd served for many years. Later, I became the U.S. representative to the International Basketball Federation, and did a myriad of other things before the Big East came calling in 2013. So my, I'm a basketball person. My gravestone will say she was a basketball person. <laughs> I think uh, is what I'm going to instruct my children um, to put put on the tombstone there. But it's been a very interesting journey. And um, again, you know, back to you know my Chinese fortune cookie fortune. You know, um, life and luck is preparation plus plus opportunity. So I that's a pretty good adage for me. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Well, first of all, I really love the fortune cookie. Like, I, I just love that. I wish I had that. 
Um, <laughs> and secondly, as a huge basketball fan, I just want to say thank you. I mean, thank you for everything you've done for the sport. I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows I somehow always loop things back to how much I love the WNBA. So just you've, you're really incredible, Val. Um, um, so you have had pretty significant leadership roles in both men's and women's professional sports. And now at the big East, you're kind of doing both. So what have the differences been like and what have been some of the challenges for each? Yeah, it's a really great question, Molly. Um, it's fascinating. I mean, I've worked intensely in men's sports, frankly, as one of very few women working in men's sports, certainly early in my career. Now there's more, which is good. Um, I've worked intensely in women's sports and with women's sports, you know, sort of representatives. And, you know, it's really, it's very interesting. It's sort of two separate cultures. It's two separate cultures. And and there's overlap, you know, um, in terms of some of the operations matters and the knowledge you would need to deal with sort of, again, operations matters, scheduling, officiating, um, you know, game management, mm-hmm. discipline where that has to happen. And then the commercial areas, you know, sponsorship, television, marketing, et cetera. But, um, it, it, you know, it, 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 there, there's disparities in both. There's certainly different commercial outcomes, which have created a gap, have created for other reasons. I mean, I'll use revenue as an example. I mean, women's sports just aren't generating it's a fact. They're not generating the revenues that men's sports are generating. And so that's the outcome of that is lower pay for the athletes, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just all related. And so, you know, I guess my uh, my observation is while I think Title IX has transformed the relationship between women and sports in this country, and I am directly a beneficiary of that transformation because, you know, my journey paralleled you know, Title IX's evolution over the last 50 years, you know, I think the next chapter in this story will be about, okay, how do we lift up these, you know, these, the fan interest? It's really about fan interest because it's fans who pay pay to buy tickets, who watch games on television, who are the demographic that sponsors want to reach, you know, and they pay money to a league because they want to reach that demographic. And if there's more fans and more viewers and more followers of women's sports, I can promise that's going to lead to more revenue. And that will be a, a virtuous cycle that will get more sponsors involved, more networks interested, you know, more leagues willing to invest more because they know they're going to get their money back <laughs> in the form of revenue or asset, you know, appreciation if they're an owner. So that's kind of what I have my eye on. Um, you know, for the next 50 years. I'm not sure I'll live that long. <laughs> that, um, you know, that's where women's sports has to go. Men's sports, it's amazing to me, the interest levels in many, you know, when I look at men's college basketball, men's college football, I saw what happened at the NBA under David Stern's leadership. You know, you see what happens with the NFL and, you know, the big stars of men's sports and how they drive fan interest. And I really hope, you know, we see that a little bit, you know, every now and again in women's sports, but not not the way you see it all the time in the tier, top tier men's sports. So that's kind of, in my judgment, where we need to get to as a as a as an industry and as a society. 
I wish the people listening to this could see how enthusiastically I'm nodding along and smiling because I agree with everything you say. And I am so glad you brought up revenue and sponsorships and fan interest because that's exactly what I want to talk about. You just you you lined it up perfectly, Val. So you mentioned the Fox the Fox Sports TV rights deal earlier, and I'm a TV reporter at heart. So this is I, I got to talk about this. So we're a few years ahead of it. Um, But the TV rights deal is up in 2025, and things have obviously changed since the deal was signed in 2013, most notably UConn joining. Uh, And UConn has that huge fan base, that huge interest. What are your priorities? And maybe you haven't started thinking about it yet, but I'm betting you have. (laughs) What are your priorities coming up and then when the rights deal is up? Well, we're very focused on it. To be honest, you're not doing your job as a commissioner in this environment if you're not thinking about um, your media rights position the timing of your next negotiation and what you need to do in order to optimize the outcome coming out of that. So we're, we couldn't be more focused at the Big East. To your point, we, the league uh, entered into a 12-year deal back in 2013. So we're now in year 10. Uh, so we have this academic year plus two. Uh, our negotiating window is in about 18 months with Fox Sports, who've been outstanding partners. I mean, the old, the the new Big East actually had, had really optimal timing because at the time, I mentioned earlier, the, the withdrawal from the old conference of this group of schools I'm now representing, Fox Sports was starting a new national sports cable network, FS1. They needed programming. They needed tonnage. And so the new Big East was perfect. It was a good bet because it was um, – it was plentiful wintertime programming. They were betting on good basketball, and that's, you know, proved to be the case. Honestly, and I wasn't involved in the negotiation. I sort of got handed the contract when I walked in the door, been negotiated by the lawyers uh, who represented the conference at that time and others. Um, but there's not much women's sports coverage in there. I mean, it was bare minimum. Why? Because, you know, Fox Sports at that time wasn't really focused on women's sports. UConn wasn't in the package. UConn mm-hmm. stayed back in the old Big East which renamed itself. So um, the answer to your question is I do believe UConn will be a tremendous asset for us as we, you know, look ahead to our, you know, our talks. They've already added value um, because they're in Fox was able to cut a a sub-license with SNY, which has been the longtime home of UConn women's basketball. So there they kind of came, you know, came with UConn, if you will, when UConn came back. And that's been a, a revenue proposition for Fox Sports. It makes them happy. It gives us more coverage. So that's been a plus. And, I, I'm, you know, I really am hoping that, you know, our other women's teams, DePaul, Marquette especially, Villanova under Coach Dillon is sort of on the rise. Um, Creighton had a great year last year under Coach Jim Flannery. They made it to the Elite Eight. Creighton, they lost to South Carolina in the Elite Eight game, which was tough. But, you know, but we've got some, some, uh, some good stories to tell there that we hope can work to our advantage. And we do hope to leverage that. We do hope to leverage that. I think as a practical matter, I mentioned to you earlier, football is driving a lot of these conversations. And men ba- mm-hmm. men's basketball is number two. So if you don't have football leverage, which we don't, you know, you better have pretty good men's basketball programming to offer. And I think we have about the best men's basketball programming there could be mm-hmm. outside of, you know, some schools in some of the football conferences. Mm-hmm. Collectively, we're pretty strong. So that's, yeah, it's on our minds and we're, we're working diligently, quietly now to get ourselves in the best position possible. 
Okay, great. Yeah, TV rights deals are obviously something I'm watching very closely, and I'm very intrigued by what the Big East is going to do. I mean, you just saw the Big Ten sign that $7.5 billion deal, which just blows my mind. And again, that's driven largely by football when you have schools like Ohio State and Michigan, and also my alma mater, Northwestern football powerhouse this year. Um, we're running short on time, but I do want to ask you kind of about sponsorships and how you're thinking about that. And that goes kind of along with TV rights deals. But I mean, I know you, I mean, Madison Square Garden, home of the Big East. And then I'm curious, like, how are you looking at sponsorships to drive fan growth um, and to kind of just build up the conference, particularly when it comes to women's sports? Well, um, this requires, Molly, a bit of a primer on on how rights are allocated in the college sports world. There's really three tiers of rights. So you've got, um, you know, regular season rights, commercial rights, are controlled by the schools. So if a school has a home regular season game, they own the rights to that, to commercialize those rights. Mm -hmm. And many schools have um, multimedia rights partners, Learfield and others, to manage that process for them. Conference doesn't get involved with that. The conferences, like the Big East, our commercial rights lie in the conference championships that we manage on behalf of our, our schools. So in our case, as an example, we, ha- we have 22 sports in the Big East that we sponsor. We don't sponsor football. We have a few schools that play it, but they do it outside of, uh, of us. So we have 22 um, conference championships that we run, and that's what we have to sell, essentially. Those are the principal assets we have to sell. We don't have campus assets to sell. And then the third tier of this is the national championships, which the NCA controls on behalf of the association. So in Division One, there are, well, let me, NCA controls D1, D2, and D3. Across all three divisions, there are 90 national championships, the commercial rights of which are held by the NCA national office. And they include, most notably, March Madness. So we don't sell those either. So the conference is sort of in the middle here. Mm -hmm. This little, you know, slice of the college sports, um, you know, commercial environment. And so, you know, that's what we have to sell. Our men's basketball tournament at the Garden is our principal asset because of its history, because of the crowds we attract, because of the visibility, because we're, we're in New York for it. So most of our interest is around that. Happily, because, large part, because UConn's back in the Big East, our women's basketball tournament, which is now at Mohegan Sun Arena in the hotbed of women's basketball, the state of Connecticut, uh, is attracting commercial interest. Um, to be honest, our other Olympic sport championships haven't driven, and that's typical in college sports, maybe some exceptions here and there, but that typically isn't driving sponsorship in the same way that a, you know, high-end men's basketball tournament or women's basketball tournament would do. But that's an area of growth, I guess, maybe is my answer to your question. We, we have to look harder at that, see if there's creative ways to, to generate interest around our women's championships, number one. And number two, see if there are other assets that we can create um, that could drive, you know, even if it's incremental revenue, interest by our sponsors and the kind of promotional activity that would inure to the benefit of our schools. Our schools, you know, want their names out there. They're all looking to drive enrollment. It's a competitive world there in terms of attracting students. Mm-hmm. So anything that's going to um, enhance the Big East brand and derivatively the brands of our 11 schools would be music to the ears of our presidents and our ADs. So those are the kinds of things we talk about. We're represented by Playfly in the marketplace. They've been a, 
um, a very, you know, positively, positive and aggressive agent. We have a wonderful sales representative who's out in the marketplace um, selling on our behalf. And so it's those areas plus, you know, new business areas that that really, you know, are kind of on our list of strategic areas that we know we have to mine in the years ahead, especially because we don't have football revenue. Mm-hmm. We just don't have that. We, we're not going to be competitive there. All right. Thank you for breaking that down. Um, and then I guess, Val, the last question I have for you is what advice do you have for women who want to break into the sports business landscape? Yeah, well, Molly, I think the good news is there's more opportunities than ever before. When I was coming up, um, there weren't many women working in sports, and it was kind of a solitary journey that I had. My mentors were all men, and they were good to me. Um, there were a few women that were sort of out there that I admired. Um, you know, Pat Summit, may she rest in peace, was one. Robin Roberts was always has always been and remains my hero. People like that. But there was really, you know, for, for someone like me, I didn't have role models. That's changed. And so there are women like me out there for the women who are coming behind us, me and us, me and our, my colleagues. So I think that's a, that's a good sign. Um, number two, I would say, you know, it's a, it's a relationship business first and foremost. Our business is about people. And so I would sort of counsel any young woman, um, or, you know, mid-manager mid level or hire a woman just to take care of your relationships in the business. They really matter and can come back and help you. And if they're not managed, it can come back and hurt you. So you have to take care of, you know, of your relationships. I would, you know, warn anybody who wants to be successful. There are a lot of sacrifices involved, in part because of the travel. Uh, I have two daughters. They're now almost 30 and almost 28. I missed a lot because I was traveling for the WNBA and after that, so you have to be prepared to make sacrifices beyond the road. It's better now with technology and Zoom calls and things like that, but you have to have your eyes open about what's involved to get ahead. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, you know, if you want to get to the sort of CEO chair, you have to be good at strategy and you have to be thinking about tomorrow. That's your job. But you also have to pay attention to the details. And I learned this from my boss, David Stern, who was a micromanager extraordinary. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> You're the CEO. You can't be worrying about that. But he did. He was in the weeds more often than not. But I, I respect that now because often the details can kill you. Devil in details, as they say. And so you have to kind of have your, you know, you got to be looking up here and, you know, big picture and all that. But you also have to have a little bit of a connection to what's going on down here. Because um, if they're executed well, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it, life can be amazing. And when they get, when you get tripped up down there, life can be hell. So those are the things I hope that, you know, sort of a few quick hitters, Molly, that I hope can be helpful to any listeners on this podcast. I mean, I know they're certainly helpful to me. So <laughs> Val, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'm looking forward to the season and I really enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate you taking the time. Great. Thanks for having me again, Molly. Of course. Thank you for listening to Adweek's Most Powerful Women in Sports, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Amanda Sickler, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heal, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcast. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? 
Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 